Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. I'm Mikey Worrell. My guest this week is the Olivier Award winner Matt Henry, who's currently playing the soul singer Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami at Nottingham Playhouse. Matt is best known for appearing on the second series of The Voice UK, and he originated the role of Lola in the West End production of Kinky Boots. That's the part that won him an Olivier Award for Best Actor in a Musical. He was also honoured with an MBE for services to musical theatre in the Queen's New Year's Honours list in 2017. We recorded this episode at a rehearsal studio in Nottingham a week before performances were due to begin. Here's our conversation. Matt Henry, welcome to Backstage With. Thank you for having me. We are in Nottingham, where you are rehearsing for One Night in Miami at the Playhouse. How have rehearsals been so far? Rehearsals have been amazing, actually. We did two weeks in London, so the move to Nottingham wasn't as frightening. And then we've been here for two weeks now. We're going into our third week and going into tech. We feel ready. It's going to be exciting to get into the space and be able to put the piece together. This is a relatively new piece, first performed in 2013. What's the piece about? It's a factual event. So it was the the night that Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, beat Sonny Liston in 1964, February, I think, February 25th, 24th, one of those days. Anyway, so he beats um, Sonny Liston... And instead of going to the Fountain Blue in Miami, where the fight was, where everybody was expecting him to be, he went back to a motel with Sam Cooke, Jim Brown and Malcolm X. So that's a factual thing. And then what happens in the room is there's elements, actually, that Kemp has put into the play, which they did. They had ice cream, (laughs) vanilla ice cream. Um, But most of it is fictional. Just kind of looks at these iconic four men and how you know, their lives entwined with each other, what was happening at the time. Is it just a forehander? <laughs> there are more people in the cast, of course. A cast of six black men, which you rarely get and which is fantastic about this piece. Especially in the regions, that's not something you ever really see outside of London, is it? No, and I, I think when I was approached about this, especially with Matthew Zia, the director, and Adam, the artistic director... I was really excited because I was like, oh, you, you don't, we're not starting in London. They're like, no, 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 we want to bring it to Nottingham and to Bristol and Manchester. We want everyone else to have first-hand experience of this play, and I think that's fantastic that it's been brought north. How much research did you do? What did you go and look <clears> up? What did you read? What did you watch? Well, when it comes to Sam Cooke, I am obsessed with Sam Cooke. I've always been obsessed with Sam Cooke. Well, not obsessed, I'm a, I'm a fan. Obsessed is a bit too strong, isn't it? I'm a huge fan of Sam Cooke's singing, his voice. I grew up in church, so I was familiar with his gospel, the gospel songs he was putting out. And I've kind of, my mum had this huge collection of Sam Cooke and the soul stirrers. They were, and then I kind of, got, and that's how I kind of got into singing. And so most of my research then kind of, just this love of his music led me into reading up about Sam Cooke and I started to write my own little play about Sam Cooke's life, taking all the information I could get from the internet and books I was reading. And then I was approached by Nottingham Playhouse saying, we're putting on One Night in Miami and would you be interested in casting for the role of Sam Cooke? I was like, 
uh, I've done all the work already. <laughs> I know exactly who, you know, I feel like I know who he is. And so the answer to your question is, I, my whole life. Okay, fair <laughs> I've been enough. i my whole life for this. <laughs> Do you feel like that whole putting something out into the universe thing is true? Do you feel like because you sort of approached it and went, I'd love to do that, this kind of happened for you on purpose? Well, I think, yes, with anything I think that you do if you kind of have a vision for it you know I had this vision I wanted to perform his songs I wanted to tell his story and I still want to do that with my own work but you know this opportunity came where I could actually do that and it was happening and so yeah I I do believe it's whatever you kind of put out to the universe it does give you back I wanted to play a lead role in the West End I was able to do that and then all those accolades came, and these were things that you put out. Have you run through the whole thing yet so yes. far? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's, the show's 90 minutes long, and there is no interval. And so, but it speeds through. There's so much drama, there's laughter, there's tears. And so, yeah, so we've ran the show, and we're doing a, a run um, this afternoon as well. Is there a certain moment, or what's the, the most satisfying bit for you that so far when you're, when you're doing it, you're like, yes? Um, getting my lines right. <laughs> now, do you know what it is? It's watching the other guys, I guess, tell the story and how we all interact with each other and, and I guess getting to be able to sing um, Change Is Gonna Come. That's the most iconic song, prolific song that you know is out there for that kind of sums up the whole civil rights movement and was kind of Sam Cooke's legacy. You know, that that was his song. And so when that moment happens in the show, it's such a... For me, it's just a really empowering moment to be able to sing those words. But I guess theatrically, how Matthews kind of orchestrated how the guys are stood and how they come into the room, yeah, it's really breathtaking. You said that you grew up in church. How did you find theatre when you were growing up? I guess I was very active within the gospel choirs at church and within the nativities at Christmas, and and I think that was my love, actually, for performance. And then I kind of... That kind of bled into my school life, where if there was a play going on, I'd always want to kind of, oh, can I be in it, or, you know, or can I help out at all? And so I think that was my love. My love of theatre and performance came from church, basically, and then it kind of moved into my school life and then became my career. How did it become your career? At what point did you go, OK, this is, this is for real? It was when I got my degree from my, from my mother. <laughs> she told me, you can't be an actor, you know, actors, that's not a real job. And I was like, OK, OK, you're going to become a social worker. I was like, OK, fine. So I went to university and I studied sociology. And when I got my degree, 2-1, I went to my mother. I was like, here you go, here's your degree. Um, you, you look after it for me and I'm going to go and experience um, becoming an actor. And I was lucky enough to get into um, the Erding Academy. And then from there, I kind of auditioned for The Lion King. I didn't finish my training, actually. I went straight into The Lion King and it just kind of snowballed from there. I just kept moving from show to show and just had a really great time doing doing theatre. So you actually started a bit later than a lot of people who sort of go off to drama school at sort of 16, 17, 18. Do you almost feel like you were armed with a bit more life experience because you had that time before you went? I Yes, 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 you, the answer to your question. But I also felt I was, I was just more... I knew who I was and I knew what I wanted and 
I was very determined and I guess I felt... I just felt confident in myself that I knew who I was and... Yes, you know, when you're at drama school, you get broken down and they build you back up and all that stuff. But um, I just felt, yeah, I just felt like I just... I was determined to kind of make a name for myself or kind of get into the industry any any way I could get into it. But I felt coming to it... And I said, I, actually, I had this conversation with my aunt and she said, you know, maybe if you'd gone into it younger, you would kind of have not been doing what you are doing now and maybe you would have ended up hating it. And there was a lot of people that I know who have, who went in at a younger age and have now are not performing anymore because they're over it. Whereas I feel like I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. You said you didn't finish your training because Lion King came up. Was that a conscious, that's come up, I'm going to go for it, or did it happen totally by accident? I was very naughty when it came to Lion King. I was in my second year and you weren't allowed to audition for... <laughs> for anything until you were in your third year and of course I heard that the third years were going off to audition for Lion King and so I called off the morning of performing art school and went to the Lion King audition. I did the audition, I left and then I headed back to college to, I think I was doing ballet or something, I had a jazz class and as I walked through the hallway of Erdang I heard, Matt Henry come here. I was like, oh, God, well, they called me into the office and were like, where have you been? And I was like, you know, I, I called in, I was, I was off sick. And they were like, well, we've had Pippa Rainey on the phone and she said that you were at the Lion King audition. I was like, uh, yes. Well, lucky for you, they want to offer you a job. I was like, oh, my God. Hours later? Yeah. And that I, never happened. No, I know, I know. But at the time, what happened was that the guy who I took over from had injured himself, so they were looking for a, a Simba, first cover Simba. And so, yeah, I started ahead of the cast. I started in, in the December, and all the people who had auditioned with me, they started, like, in the March or April of the following year. Wow. So I was very lucky. <laughs> so that phone call comes into the office, they call you in. Yeah. What happened then? How long did you just stop straight away? Or no, did... no, no, no. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone in my ear, of course, to um, encourage people to do the, what they shouldn't be doing until they get to the third year. So um, I... What did I do? Yes, um, they told me to do a project. So I was doing this project um, about Lion King. And so I'd go to Lion King rehearsals. And so I started, like, kind of, it was, like, two weeks after getting the call. I had to start because they needed someone to cover. And I was a swing as well, so I was learning, like, 17 parts. 17? 17, yeah, tracks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but it was, like, it was, you know, it was my dream. That's why I wanted to be in the West End. I wanted to, you know, and to be in the Lion King as well, you know. And so everyone kept seeing me kind of come to college in the morning and then I'd go and do rehearsals for Lion King in the afternoon and then I'd come back and I'd do this, I'd be in the library doing this project on Lion King and then I had to hand it in. <laughs> what? I don't know. And then when you were eventually allowed to tell your classmates, yeah. were they like, yeah, we knew something was going yeah, on? they all knew. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was 21, I'm like, you know, you kind of like, oh, you can't really hold a secret in for that long. You kind of walk around kind of going, I've got a job, I've got a job, I've got a job. Yeah, so you tell your close friends who 
I'm going to keep it a secret. Nothing. Never happens. No, no. Never happens. No. How long were you with The Lion King? I was with The Lion King for two and a half years. And then did you go straight into Avenue Q? No, I went... I first worked for Cameron after The Lion King, so I went into a UK tour of Miss Saigon, and I did that for 15 months, playing first cover John. And then from that, I kind of finished that early to go into Saturday Night Fever, which was back at the Victoria Palace Theatre. And then Avenue Q came about, and absolutely was like I know nothing about puppeteering but I want to be a part of this it was the most amazing show we had nine weeks of rehearsals so were you in the original yeah. in the original project okay. yeah the Noel Coward I was Giles Torreira's understudy first cover Gary Coleman it was amazing it was amazing amazing I had a great experience in that show and then I was lucky enough to be asked to take it out on tour around the UK and I became the resident director for the show as well that show is interesting, actually, because apart from Christmas Eve, in terms of you know going back to racial mm. diversity, there is Gary Coleman Christmas Eve, and that's it, isn't it? That that's the only non-white people. That's an easy show to, to colourblind cast, isn't it? Yes. Because you don't need to match your puppet. I mean, Rod no. was blue for a sec. <laughs> Nikki was green. Yeah, Nikki was green. <laughs> but then they had songs like "Everyone's a Little Bit Racist," and you know, and yes, it was all tongue in cheek. But I think actually, I think when people laughed, they were kind of. They, they knew, they, yeah, they were like, yes, that's what society is like. Yeah, home truths. Yeah. Completely. How long was the gap between doing Avenue Q and doing The Voice? Because that must have been quite uh, closely followed. Yeah, so I finished the tour that you came to um, and was kind of in a place of, well, what do I do next? Do I want to pursue this kind of resident director role or do I want to carry on performing? Or do I just want to sing? I didn't know what I wanted to do, so just took some time out and went travelling. And then I got an email um, saying, thank you, Mr Henry, for applying for The Voice. I was like, what? So I rang my partner and I was like, hey, I've got this email. And they were like, yeah, because you didn't know what you wanted to do, I just thought I'd help you out. And so they had kind of sent my application form in. And, yeah, I went to the audition. I rang them up and I said, I was like... Look, I don't know if, I, if this is what I want to do. And they were like, listen, there's no pressure. Just come, sing, you're not on camera, and just take it from there. And they were just so chilled. It was a really lovely experience. I didn't think I was going to be enjoy it as much as I did enjoy it, because they were just so lovely. So there was a pre-audition before the chair audition, yes. is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going into that, were you, were you worried about how that would affect your career, or did you think <laughs> this could only lead to good things? No, I was absolutely petrified only because I'd seen season one and I'd seen kind of they just not turn for certain big West End singers and so I was like oh wow okay you're really putting your neck out on the line here because if they don't turn you know so it's the scariest moment is walking out to the microphone the 90 seconds went so quickly that when I kind of opened my eyes and I saw that four people had turned around, I was like, oh my God. And the rest is kind of... Did you not let yourself look while you were sort no, of... No, I was just like, all you can do, Matt, is just sing. Sing, sing, sing. You've got 90 seconds. If no one turns around, you've had a good time. People have seen you on television singing. Just enjoy it. And so it was, yeah. So when I opened my eyes and I was like, Oh my god, like everyone's turned around. This is crazy. Did you freak out when you watched that back? I did. A little bit. 
<laughs> like, ah! But I still get that feeling, that feeling of being nervous and kind of waiting for the intro of the music to start and yeah, everything. I, 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 yeah, reliving it. When I've watched it on YouTube and I've kind of, I relive it, I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I did that. Were you overthinking when they turned around? Were you like, oh, I didn't think they turned around at that moment? Or? Yeah, I didn't realise that, like, it was like seven seconds and Danny turned round first and then, you know, I think it was Jesse J and then Will and then Tom left it to the last minute. I was like, what? You know, <laughs> but because you, you, you don't see this, you just kind of tunnel vision performance. And on the whole, how I don't want to dwell on it because no. it was time ago, but how, how would you sum up your memories of that experience? It got me to a place of feeling like I could sing and get out there and write songs and and be creative again and I think that's what I'd lost I, you know when I was doing Avenue Q I was being creative and taking creative control of someone's show but being creative myself I, I just didn't know what it is I wanted to do and so I guess the voice kind of unlocked that within me and it kind of got me thinking about songwriting which I then ended up doing my own album and going on tour with Cindy Lauper that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done the voice because I wouldn't have that wouldn't have unlocked that thing in me to want to be creative. We have to talk about Kinky Boots. Um, <laughs> I was reading up about you earlier. Is yeah. it true that one of your first jobs was being an usher at the Adelphi, and then you got to actually open a West End transfer there? Was that a dream come true? It was. Do you know what I? It was amazing because I remember when I was at Erdang, I would go, I'd finish college in the evening and this when Erdang was in Covent Garden I'd rush across to Delphi and there were loads of other kind of people who were at dance schools, birds, lanes and we were all kind of just had this group of friends and you know we all all we kept talking about was like oh when, when we get into theatre when we get into theatre and um, I used to yeah just used to watch um, Uta Lempa and Ruthie Hentral and like be like wow they're am-. the show was amazing I loved the show anyway and I think a part of me was like, oh my, one day I'm going to be in this show, you know. Um, and then to just come full circle and end up opening Kinky Boots at the Adelphi was just surreal. And I went, actually, when I was there, when we got to the theatre, I went up to the... To, I used to always sit in the dress circle and there's a, a little seat at the back and I used to sit and watch. And I just sat there when we were doing rehearsals, um, technical rehearsals, and I just was like, oh, my God, this is where I used to sit. This is exactly the moment. But it's me that's out there. Was there a certain catharsis to that of we're doing OK? No, I, I don't think so. It was just, I just felt really humbled and blessed to just... I'd never have thought... I would never in my wildest dreams had thought that I would be back at a theatre that I was actually selling ice creams and programmes at. And... I'd then be on that stage and but I guess it is that thing of you put it out there I want to be on this stage at the Adelphi and I'm you know I get onto that stage at the Adelphi and that was the same thing with the Lion King which is really scary this is really weird but I just remembered that when I went to see the Lion King when I was at college the guy who swung out was John Mawabi and I was like oh my god I want his job and that's whose job I got because he hurt his ankle, broke his toe, and they lo- were looking for a replacement for him. You're responsible. <laughs> and I got his job. How weird is that? I just thought about that now. 
Yeah. I worry for anybody who's, who's <laughs> If I job, want it, I get it. <laughs> one way or another. When it came to doing Kinky Boots, mm. did you, had you seen the show in New York? Were you familiar? You must have been familiar with Jerry Mitchell's work, I'm guessing. I knew... I'd never met Jerry. I knew of his work through Hairspray, because I had friends who were doing Hairspray. And I only knew of the film. So I didn't even know the music, didn't know the show and casting came in for it. I was like, oh, okay, this seems interesting. And then I end, one thing led to another, and I ended up in New York. And I was auditioning for Cindy Lauper and the team, and I was like, wow, how did it get to this? And then, yeah, next thing I you know, I'm opening it up in, on the West End, and the rest is kind of history in the sense of, like, it just, yeah, just blew up. Opening night at the Adelphi, when you're out there doing Hold Me In Your Heart, Land of Lola, curtain call what is going through your mind <laughs> I guess what's going through my mind is wow I made it through in these six inch leather heels and my feet are killing me but at the same time I was just I think I was just so overwhelmed by the whole experience that when I left the show it's only then could I kind of really enjoy look back and kind of go oh my god I had such a fantastic time but when you're in it it was just it was just so overwhelming the whole experience. But yeah, it wouldn't change anything. Holding your heart, the sleeve, everything, everything, living. When you got to go back and, and do it for the filmed version, which we haven't seen over here yet, but hopefully soon, what did that sort of change your the way you did it? Did you sort of were you able to go in with, with fresh eyes? I went in with fresh eyes, but what was wonderful was to go in with my partner in crime, Killian Donnelly, because I don't think I could have done it with anyone else. He, we just bounce off each other. We have such a unique chemistry that kind of just works, and we push each other and we find new things, you know, about each other whilst we're acting. And we, yeah, we're just very kind of fluid with each other. And um, so that going back was amazing, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I guess stepping out of heels and then not wearing them for like a year. And then having to go back in for that short time, I was like, oh, my God, my feet. Smile, 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 sing, sing, sing. <laughs> Did everything come back quite easily with oh, muscle yeah. memory? Everything came back, everything. And it was, it was actually, it was, I enjoyed it even more because I was like, I thought that was the end when I, when I left. And to have the experience of doing it again, and then now they've recorded it and it's going to be there forever so I can show my grandchildren and everyone else. Um, but yeah, so it was amazing. It's so rare that a musical theatre actor is honoured with an MBE so young. I mean, were you like, what? When that, when that letter came in, how did you react? When the letter came in, I was... Us, my son was three weeks old and I was kind of... I hadn't slept, I was all over the place. And I remember just looking at it kind of I hadn't opened it and it had like an official stamp on it and, and I thought it was oh, I was like oh my god my tax bills come through really early I was like oh what, what, who do I owe money to and as I opened it I was like uh what and I had, I had to run upstairs to my mum who was looking after my son and I was like I, I haven't slept for two nights please read this to me she read it and we were just sat there and we're like what? oh my god yeah it was Definitely just out of the blue and the most wonderful kind of... Whoever wrote it, whoever put me forward, thank you so much. Thank you. Cherry on the top. Yeah. 
given that the theme of this chat so far has been putting things out into the universe, is there anything you'd like to put out there that maybe 10 years ago you thought, oh, I'll never be able to do that, that now you're thinking, maybe I could do that? There's loads of little things I kind of keep to myself and I put out there, so I won't tell you those. But um, I'm just thinking in case anyone's listening and they need to just be careful when they're walking down some stairs. (laughs) Do you know what, though? I Honestly, I thought to myself, if it all kind of goes pitong and... um, nothing else happens after one night in Miami I would definitely like to go into casting and just try and shake things up a little bit and I think so yeah be careful of your job as casters casting people because I know I'd love to just bring new blood into the whole casting system that's happening within theatre because it is very again one-sided and it'd be able, it'd be wonderful to be able to just bring in loads of different cultures multi just yeah just kind of sh- shake it up so yeah that's brilliant that's answer. my vision thank you so much for taking your time out of rehearsals thank you when can we come and see you we open on the 11th of June at Nottingham Playhouse in One Night in Miami and we're there until the 22nd of June and then after that we go to Bristol and then Manchester fabulous thank you so much thank you <laughs> You can see One Night in Miami at Nottingham Playhouse until the 22nd of June. It's also touring to Bristol Old Vic, where it's on from the 25th to the 29th of June, and to Home in Manchester, where it's on from the 2nd to the 5th of July. To find out who's taking us behind the scenes next, make sure you subscribe to Backstage With on your usual podcast platform, and we'd love it if you could leave a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 